Hello, Brandeis community, and welcome to the second episode of Udcast, recorded here in the Sound Lab at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. This is Head of School Dan Glass reporting live. So I thought I'd start today. I was actually inspired today uh, by an email sent my way from uh, community member Carrie Gorin, and she shared a post from Edutopia, which is uh, the blog funded by the Lucas Foundation. Shout out to Star Wars. Um, And in it, there was a a teacher talking about why uh, he starts every day in his class with a poem, uh, talking about the uh, the, the ways that it gets kids to connect and to think deeply um, and to imagine the possibilities and intensities of language. And I was inspired by that blog post to think, you know what? We should start each of these Udcasts with a poem. Why not? I love poetry. You love poetry. Let's do it. Um, so in this week's Word of the Week that I'll be sharing in the Udcast, I... Um, I'm going to be talking some about John Keats and his idea of negative capability. So I thought, what a great opportunity to share a John Keats poem. I thought we'd go a little bit uh, into his B-sides and uh, off-the-beaten-track record of of his work um, and share a a poem that's just called Sonnet, uh, written in 1818. Uh, And it, it goes like this. When I have fears that I may cease to be, before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain, before high-piled books in charactery hold like rich garners the full-ripened grain, when I behold upon the night's starred face huge cloudy symbols of a high romance, and I think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance, And when I feel, fair creature of an hour, that I shall never look upon thee more, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love, then on the shore of the wide world I stand alone and think, till love and fame to nothingness do sink. So that's a a little bit of a reflection on mortality, which is an interesting one from uh, John Keats, just because uh, for all that he remains, uh, you know, a star in the firmament of romantic poetry, um, he he died very young, I think when he was just 23 years old. And so, uh, you know, he did, in fact, uh, die before filling up those bookshelves that he imagined in this poem. Uh, so an interesting place to start, I think, this week, um, and, and I, I just another quick aside, it takes me back to um, a correspondence I had with my uh, friend and teacher, Rabbi Batshir Torchio, former uh, Brandeis parent, former Brandeis teacher, current Brandeis board member, Rabbi Batshir Torchio. Um, and we were writing back and forth last year after she gave a very beautiful Devar Torah um, at our board retreat um, about poetry. And she, uh, she said that, that poetry is a kind of prayer as well. Um, and, uh, and in the Devar that she had given, um, she said she sort of offered the intention to the um, 
to the board that, you know, hoping that we may not lose sight that our soul, too, has a curriculum um, bound up in the work of, uh, of leadership and of this school. Um, so uh, I like that idea. I like the idea of the soul's curriculum. And I think maybe a little bit that's what we're about here in the UDCAST uh, with the support of folks like John Keats and Tribe Called Quest. Um, you know, exploring the curriculum of our souls. So here we are. I'm telling you a story about what my day was like yesterday. My day yesterday began uh, at the Jewish Community Federation. Uh, There was a meeting that was organized by JCRC uh, coming out of the work that they did a few years ago on the Year of Civil Discourse. And this was a meeting uh, around supporting meaningful dialogue around Israel and our communities. So the Federation is down on Stewart Street, uh, down near uh, AT&T Park for you Giants fans, um, near the Embarcadero. It's a busy part of San Francisco, and so I try and avoid driving there because it's both impossible to get there and even more impossible to park once you're there. Um, So I was in the back of an Uber on this particular yesterday morning, uh, and, um, you know, flipping through my phone, as I often am when I'm in an Uber, um, and, you know, eventually on Twitter. And it was a particularly slow morning, because for those of you who pay attention to such things, uh, you'll recall that yesterday was a quote-unquote Apple event uh, down there on the Embarcadero, where they had their big launch event for the iPhone 7. I believe we're on number 7 um, so I was uh, had even more time than I had expected in the back of this car, and I was noticing that there was a lot of techno nostalgia floating around the internet, and particularly in my uh, Twitter feed yesterday morning, um, because Apple announced with this iPhone 7 that they took out the um, headphone jack, and uh, and that apparently is a, a holdout across. Um, a number of generations of technologies. Um, and, you know, with, if you think back, I, I think back to my first Walkman and Discman eventually, um, and it's that same little headphone jack that now, alas, Apple has made disappear. Um, and at the same event, they also announced that uh, Mario of Super Mario Brothers was coming to a video game on the iPhone. So there was all of this, like, waves of... Uh, nostalgia, and particularly uh, a kind of nostalgia for the 1970s and 1980s that are a very familiar feature of my upbringing in childhood. Um, And I'm always curious about the confluence of nostalgia and technology, given the rapidly decreasing half-lives of the objects in the world of technology, the planned obsolescence of so much of it, and, you know, the, the very fact of this huge launch event for um, for the iPhone 7 is is a prime example of that. Um, it, it actually puts me in mind of a sketch that I loved from uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is a comedy troupe that's based uh, in New York, I think. Um, but it was briefly on air as a television show, 
and uh, there was this sketch of this woman who was really obsessed with scrapbooking, and and she was kind of this like real time scrapbooker. Of course, this was before we used phrases like real time, but she would scrapbook her life as it happened. So she would you know blow her nose and then put it in a scrap, put the tissue in a scrapbook, and eat a piece of candy and then put the candy in the scrapbook, and and was crying over this like immediately past. Uh, uh, past that that she had um, the you know it was this funny kind of real real time nostalgia. Um, so I know this in part because the the very first class I ever taught um, was through a program at UC Berkeley where they allowed students to propose and teach classes. Um, and so a group of f- friends that I had at Cal and I. Uh, proposed a class called Upright Citizens Brigade Chaos and Society. Uh, and it was a two-unit class, which is like half of a, a regular class, or it was back then. Um, and we had a, a huge turnout. I think we had 60 students who took this class, and four of us co-taught it together, and, and we would watch uh, episodes of Upright Citizens Brigade. And one of the regular features of Upright Citizens Brigade is that they would have these interstitial pieces between the sketches where they would take some of the ideas that they were exploring in a, in a sketch and take them out into the real world. And, and so is this kind of absurdist comedy, uh, you know, played out in, in the, uh, you know, in, in reality, uh, as it were. Um, which was always hilarious, as you can imagine. Um, and so for our final exam or final project that we assigned for that class, we had students uh, invent their own um, kind of interventions into uh, the reality of um, campus life um, and then film them and, and uh, reflect on them. Um, so we had kids doing things like hiding in garbage cans and then popping out at uh, strangers as they walked by, Um, uh, people doing these uh, kind of uh, installation art pieces uh, of themselves and their friends in the middle of campus. Um, It was great. Um, And actually, my, my favorite part of that class is that the professor that sponsored the class came at the very end of the class and in our own sort of prank on the entire class, we um, had him announce to the class that the university had decided that it wasn't um, uh, intellectually rigorous enough uh, to be worthy of uh, getting units for it. And so everyone was not actually going to receive the two units that they had signed up to get for the class. And, you know, for a lot of people, this was filling out a full-time schedule. And so there would have been uh, significant implications in that moment when the entire class sort of stopped and stared at this professor uh, and, you know, freaked out silently. And then he very casually pulled out a beer from under the podium and opened the beer and stood there sipping it. And slowly it dawned on them that this was, in fact, our prank on them. So good times, Uh, good times. Not all of my classes have gone quite that way, but uh, that was a place where I began to love uh, working with people and engaging with ideas, if you can believe it. So back to the lesson at hand. So my Twitter feed, uh, you know, was full of all of this 
spinning nostalgia yesterday about about headphone jacks and about Super Mario Brothers and um, but it's also that that's a space that I try and use uh, as a personal learning network, which just means that um, there are a lot of people that I have followed on Twitter, uh, educators, school leaders, writers, artists, thinkers, um, and. So when I go on to Twitter, usually it doesn't take long for me to find some article or poem or um, discussion that's really engaging and inspiring. Um, and uh, yesterday I came across actually an article written by a community member here at Brandeis, and that's Jenny Olson. Hi, Jenny. Thank you for the inspiration uh, yesterday, Jenny, in addition to being an eighth grade parent, uh, is also a filmmaker, and she wrote uh, a piece on using 16 millimeter film in her recent award-winning Sundance Film Festival selected documentary uh, called The Royal Road. Um, and you can find a link to that in the Word of the Week if you have not already been there. Um, so in this article, Jenny makes the case for the medium of the artwork having a tangible impact on its audience. Um, and she, in, in making that argument, is really following the uh, philosopher and says so explicitly, the philosopher Walter Benjamin, who is somebody that I have read a lot and really loved uh, in my life as uh, a writer and a thinker. Um, and and the, the argument is basically that there is a different aura to an original work of art, to uh, in, and in the case uh, of this documentary, to the medium of film itself by virtue of its singularity in the world, its capacity to get scratched, to burn, to disappear. Um, and so uh, she's looking at this idea of aura in film and looking at the kind of nostalgia produced by the, the tone of film stock itself. And at the end of her essay, Jenny makes this really fascinating statement that, that I found just quite interesting. Uh, she says, quote, the difference between history and nostalgia is sentiment. Um, reading that in the back of my Uber, I, I was struck. It was a wow moment. It felt so true. Uh, you know, nostalgia really can be seen as our application as, of an emotional filter to events, that kind of sepia ache of certain memories. Um, but what does that mean then in the context of the digital age with these portals flashing in our hands for barely days before we're watching clips of newer and shinier iterations? And what does that tell us about the work of education and raising children in this world of accelerating change? So Jenny gestures toward an answer to those questions in recognizing the limits of her thesis. Though she's writing about the film stock she used to make The Royal Road, the movie has been transferred to digital for distribution. So there's no possible moment in which the reel would catch into the projector and burn, right? There's the, despite it having that kind of... Um, the, the quality of that medium, uh, it no longer actually exists in that medium. And there's this kind of unsolvable paradox in that moment. The artwork is both film and digital. Both of those truths are present and yet somehow also exclusive of each other. Um, and here is where I went to uh, the poet Chan Keats, who we heard that lovely sonnet from at the outset. Um, his idea of negative capability, which I've written about in uh, the um, word of the week previously, um, and uh, 
this idea of negative capability is is that artists have to uh, allow themselves to exist or to be in uncertainty without any irritable grasping after fact or reason. I've always understood that to mean that the work of creativity in the world is the work of holding intention multiple and at times opposing truths. Uh, In my own poetry, that often looks like an engagement with the fractures and challenges of the world we live in while still gesturing toward another world that might be possible or that we might aspire toward or be working for. Um, At the meeting yesterday at the Federation, uh, one of the themes that arose was how it can be difficult for people in our community to find a space of meaningful dialogue around Israel uh, because people often hold deep in their hearts a singular truth about the past and present of the state of Israel, and it can be hard for them to engage with others who hold in their hearts a different truth. Um, And so as a group of community leaders, we were talking yesterday about the hard work of kind of holding these disparate truths in tension and about how we can work together to create spaces for that kind of connection and dialogue. Um, And so it was at the end of that meeting that I I sat down and jotted out these notes. It was sort of, you know, it was like iPhone, arrow to nostalgia and Jenny's article and arrow from there to Keats and then an arrow from that uh, back to some of the notes I was taking about Israel and these conversations. Um, And all of that, of course, has come together to form uh, what you're listening to now, this week's Word of the Week. But um, as I have been uh, sitting with that, as I was sitting with it last night and and this morning, um, I I felt like I needed another arrow, like I needed another direction. There wasn't... um, That sort of set of variables didn't quite for me, get me back to to one of my central questions, which was really like, what does this mean about education? What does it mean about Jewish education? How do we get a lesson from that, uh, from all of this thinking as as teachers and as parents? Um, So uh, what I did is I I looked up this week's uh, Torah portion. So I I actually have bookmarked in Safari. uh, Chabad.org has a great little weekly Torah portion site that gives you just a breakdown of the Torah portion, kind of in a nutshell, the Cliff Notes version. You can read the entirety of it in both Hebrew and English. It's a really great resource. And I I often turn to it uh, kind of in the same way that I turn to books of poetry. It's sort of like an I, I Ching, you know, I kind of have a sense that I'm looking for something. I don't know quite what that is. And so often uh, the, the week's Torah portion can, can give me some kind of um, clarification uh, around some, some challenging moments or questions that I have. It's very useful for me in that way. Um, so this week's Parsha is called Shoftim, and it, it contains the famous mandate from Moses to the Israelites, justice, justice shall you pursue. Um, and that was a like a aha moment. So as soon as I opened up uh, the, the week's Torah portion and saw that, I was like, yes. And it wasn't actually about justice so much um, that, you know, I got super excited and it, it kind of lit up for me. It was really around the idea of pursuit. Um, because in, in this dialectic that's present in negative capability or, or in this paradox that's present in Jenny's essay between film and digital as different media, uh, in these different truths that each of us hold, we find a particular kind of pursuit. It's not a pursuit to 
uh, an end. It's not a teleological pursuit. It doesn't have a single angle. Um, rather, there are arrows pointing in two and sometimes more opposing directions, right? It's it's things going in multiple directions at once. And I think, actually, we could say that the, the work of pursuing justice is similarly never straightforward. It is not a straight line from here to a just world. And that's that's uh, the work of taking a lot of different steps in different fields, you know, in different directions. Um, and so when I think about what we should be teaching our children in this age of diminishing presence, uh, it's really to look both ways as they're crossing the present, to hold both the future and the past as they're pursuing their dreams. It's to hold these multiple truths uh, in tension. And I would say uh, that's as true for um, you know, a, a readers and writers workshop as it is for uh, a discussion about the state of Israel as it is for uh, an understanding about the relevance of algebra in our day-to-day lives. I think um, all of that uh, can be enriched and deepened by the reminder that we get to, um, you know, to consider uh, the multiple truths and hold those multiple truths uh, in the different directions that they send us. So, now we come to the end of a rather lengthy Yudcast. You know, last year I made a joke after writing a very long word of the week, which this one is, again, that uh, Ruth Katz, shout out Ruth Katz, uh, sometimes called me the professor for my um, tendency to pontificate. Um, I'm sure this is a professorial Yudcast if there ever was one, but I hope it's professorial also in the spirit of the professor uh, from the And One mixtape tours who was uh, was and is an amazing basketball player. You should look him up. His dribbling skills are out of control. Um, and with that, uh, I wish you guys all uh, weekends full of meaningful pursuits. I hope you have uh, a lovely Shabbat if you are listening to this on Shabbat. Um, and thank you for checking out the Yudcast. Until next week, my friends.